Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Well, good? I'm fine. Thanks for asking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. And um, I just want to say this just by way of uh, getting started. I didn't prepare this. It's sort of off notes already. But um, as I was just praying backstage, I just had this overwhelming sense that God is just real pleased with some of you. I guess I could say all of you, but, and maybe I should say that, but, um, but specifically, I feel like the Lord just wants to say that to a few people that you feel some way about your relationship with God. I'm just here to tell you that if your relationship with God is rooted in Jesus Christ and his work alone, then your relationship with him is settled. And you've got this idea from what I, I don't know what it is in your life. There's something you do or don't do. There's some issue of guilt, shame, something. Maybe someone's telling you you're doing it wrong or you just, someone's constantly telling you you don't do it right. I don't know, but something. And I'm just here to say that, that I was just sensing the Lord is just real pleased. And he's pleased in you because of Jesus Christ. He's pleased in you for, for what Jesus has done. And he's pleased that you've accepted his son as your savior, as your substitute. He's, he's pleased in that. And he's thankful that you've come to church. He's thankful that you've come to be a part of whatever this is going to look like this morning. And by the look of it right now, I don't know what it's going to look like right now. <laughs> right? I'm just, I'm here to encourage you. So um, if you're encouraged, would you just give the hand uh, or give the Lord a clap or something? Yes, sir. Well, we'll see. You know, I think um, I can I can ruin the mood real quick, but I, I want um, I want to continue our Bible study this morning. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be reading in Luke chapter one. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, underneath the seat around you, there's a hardback black Bible, and you can use that Bible. And we're in the New Testament, which is sort of the back third of the book. And there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in the the Gospel or the biography of Jesus' life by Luke. And we're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to read verses 67 through 80, and we're going to work our way there. But as you're turning there, let me just give you a little uh, background as to where we've been thus far. So Renaissance right now, we're just currently working through the book of Luke. We're going to work through the book of Luke probably for the next year or two. So it'll take us a while to get through it. We started in chapter 1 a few weeks ago, and we were introduced to two different sort of families here. The biblical scholars call the chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Luke the the birth narratives. There are two births that Luke is, is drawing our attention towards in the first two chapters of his biography. There's two births. There's the birth of a guy named John the Baptist, who's born to a priest named Zechariah and his wife named Elizabeth. And then there's the Messiah, Jesus Christ, born to Mary, the virgin, and her husband, Joseph. And these two births are inextricably linked together. And Luke is, is telling us this story in such a way that the, the, the two birth narratives overlap. They have a lot of similarities. They were both um, um, visited by the angel Gabriel. Gabriel was telling them that God is going to give them a son. I mean, there's all kinds of parallels there and then some distinct differences. And so today's 
passage, we're going to finish the story of John the Baptist, his birth narrative. And so we'll read the, the closing remarks of that story. And just by way of review, so Zechariah is a priest. He's working in the temple. He's visited by Gabriel, an angel. Um, he's old in age. His wife, Elizabeth, is also old in age. And they're barren. They have no children. And Gabriel comes and says, listen, the Lord has heard your prayers and he's going to give you a son and his name shall be called John. And he gives all, the, and he says a bunch of stuff about what John's going to do. It's a beautiful story. You can go back and watch the, the listen to the podcast about it. But um, Zechariah has some doubt. You know, the angel comes and maybe you would have some doubt too. I don't know, right? But you ha he has some doubt. And because he doubts the words of Gabriel, Gabriel says, because of that, your mouth is going to be shut for the next nine or 10 months. So, so um, Zechariah becomes mute. We don't know how long, however long it took him to get back home after working at the temple, um, you know, getting with his wife, if you know what I mean. And then they, she becomes pregnant. And then uh, nine months later, she has a baby. So for that nine or 10 months, however long that was, he was mute and couldn't say anything. Um, last week we read where, where uh, John was born. Uh, Elizabeth goes to full term. Hallelujah. She gives birth to a child in her old age. She's, she lives through the birth. Hallelujah. John survives. Hallelujah. And on the eighth day, they take John to the temple to be circumcised, which was what the law said they should do. And they, they name him. And everybody wanted to name him Little Zach or Little Zechariah after his father, right? Because that's what you do with the firstborn son. You named him after the dad. And they kept saying, and Elizabeth said, no, I want to name him John because that's what his name's going to be. And they didn't listen to her. And they finally asked Zachariah, who's mute, says, what do you want to name the son? And he takes like a writing tablet and he writes these words down. His name is John. And I can almost picture exclamation point and a stomp with his foot almost, right? And in this moment, his mouth is opened. Like his tongue is loose is what Luke says. And he begins to, to pray. He begins to praise and just like sing this hymn of praise to God. It's actually a prophecy. And we're going to read that prophecy today in Luke chapter one, verses 67 through 80. So I'll read it all together and we'll work our way through it. You can follow along with the words um, on the screen behind me. Um, yeah, I think that's the review. Here we go. Starting here, verse 67. Now, this is the prayer of Zechariah. This is his sort of praise moment, right? And it says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, and to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, that we might serve him without fear in all holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, now speaking to his own son, you shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. I love that. And last verse, and the child, John the Baptist, he grew and he became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance 
to Israel. So let's pray together, shall we? Lord, again, thank you for your paying attention to us. As we've already discussed, that, that words are, you know, so small to offer you, as great as you are and as large and big as you are, as TJ was saying, as good as you are, words just can't compare, but it's all we have, God, so we just give them to you. Lord, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit, that he would be with us and it would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, that we would know what you're saying to us, Lord. God, we thank you for this opportunity and we thank you in the name of your son, Jesus, and we all say amen. Amen, amen. amen. So when Zechariah starts to prophesy, he, the, verse 67 here says that, that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we could do a whole series on what that might look like. It just means this, that the, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, came, came into Zechariah's life in such a way that he was sort of overflowing with, with the Spirit. And in, in that state, if you will, in that understanding, he began to say things or to prophesy things, words probably we would say from God. These words that, that we just read are inspired by God. And they're prophetic words. And we might think about prophecy. And I don't know if you, what you know about prophecy. When I was in high school and people would talk about prophecy, I always thought about, um, who's that guy? Nostradamus or whatever his name was, <laughs> right? It's all about predicting the future. And if you have friends that all they do is read the book of Revelation because it's like in prophecy and all that stuff and, we're, and they're watching the war in Ukraine and Russia and all that stuff trying to figure out what's going on in the world. There's a lot of that going on. But prophecy in the biblical sense is more than just predictions of what's going to take place. And there is some of that. The Bible does predict things that happen in the future, for sure. But it's not only that. But there's also prescription that's taking place. It, this basically, that sometimes God will use a prophet to speak to his people to explain to the people what's going on in the world. To explain to them what's happening. And that's a little bit of what we see here. So the people, when John was born, the neighbors and the family had gathered around and they even wondered to themselves after Zechariah's mouth is loosed and he starts to praise God, they're going, what kind of child is this? Like they knew, like Elizabeth had a, a miraculous childbirth, like she's pregnant in her old age, gives birth to a son. This guy's mute, now he can talk again. Something's going on with this kid. And they wondered about it. And so Zechariah, filled with the spirit, begins to explain to them what's kind of happening. And he breaks this sort of prophecy into two different parts. There's a, a part about the messenger, his son, John, and there's a part about the Messiah, Jesus. And it's in two different pieces, and we'll take it in two different pieces like that. So let's start with the messenger, John, starting here in verse 76. 76, Luke records for us that Zechariah said this, and you, child, you, John, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. And for you are going to go before the Lord, speaking of Jesus, to prepare his ways and to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. John, we're learning, is going to be a prophet of God. Now, if you're Jewish at this time, your, your knees begin to shake at this point because you're wondering, wait, what, what? See, they have not, Israel has not had a prophet in their midst for over 400 years. If you know the story of the Old Testament, there's a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. But the last prophet, in the Old Testament, Malachi was like the last prophet to have spoken. He's the last prophet to have said something, that God's going to do something wonderful in the future. And that was 400 years ago. And he'd been silent. Not to say that the world wasn't continuing on. God's people were doing some stuff. All kinds of things are happening. But no prophet of God had come to speak to his people. And all of a sudden, Zechariah says, something brand new is happening. 
And you, John, my son, you will be a prophet of the Most High. And, and all the Israelites just lean in and go, what does this even mean for us? And not only is he going to be a prophet of God, but the Old Testament prophets, this will blow your mind, they actually foretold John's birth, his coming, and his role. In fact, besides Jesus, right? Besides Jesus, leave him out of this one. But besides Jesus, there are more specific Old Testament prophecies about John than there are about any other New Testament person. So there's a lot of prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. And the second most is about John. These two people are inextricably linked together. God's doing something through them. And so I just want to spend a few moments talking through some of those Old Testament prophecies about John who is to come and to see their fulfillment today. And I'm only doing this because I'm nerding out on it. <laughs> like, I think this is awesome. Some of, some of us just don't really understand what it's like to let the Bible sort of interpret the Bible for us. Have you ever read something in the Bible and you go, I wonder what that means? Say yes. <laughs> Oh, yes. The answer is yes. Like all the time. Every day I read the Bible. What does this possibly mean? Yes, of course. And sometimes the Bible actually interprets it for, for us. And so if you know the entirety of scripture, you'll see, well, I wonder what this means. And then boom, there's the answer. So I just want to show you by way of example, a couple of those two Old Testament prophets, one named Isaiah and one named Malachi. So 700 years ago, 700 years, sorry, before John's birth, this guy named Isaiah said this. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, it says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places made plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah, this prophet, speaking about a person who's going to go before the Lord and almost do like this thing where you try to put bed sheets on your bed and you just get all the wrinkles out. And you just shake them loose. All the, the, the hills are made flat and the valleys made low. Just smooth out the way so that the Lord may come before. And we're, we would say, is that about John? Is that about John the Baptist? And yes, we think that is. But how do we know that? How can we be certain that Isaiah was talking about John? Well, look here in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, it says, In those days, and this is the biographer Luke, or sorry, Matthew talking here. In those, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Right? Sounds eerily like Isaiah's prophecy. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So Matthew is saying, dude, Isaiah was talking about this kid named John. This is him. This is him. Now, this is significant for the people because they need to understand that John, again, is a prophet, that he's speaking for God. And hear me when I say this. And so when God the prophet speaks, the people of God must listen because God is saying something. 400 years before John's birth, another prophet named Malachi said this, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, and the Lord rather, whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. What? What? That sounds like John, maybe. I don't know. Is it about John? Yes, it is. In fact, if we read in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus himself says that, that, uh, that in Malachi is about John. Check this out. Verse 7 of uh, Matthew 11. As, as the, some people went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John, and he says this, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? 
Because people would go out into the wilderness to see John. He's out there by the River Jordan baptizing people, saying, repent, repent, screaming at people, eating wild honey and, or wild locusts and honey. I don't know, wearing all the weird stuff. Anyways, and, and he goes, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? No, verse 11, truly I say to you, among those born of a woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. So John, all I'm trying to say here, nerding out with you guys for a moment, is that he was Israel's first prophet in over 400 years. And God's people were leaning in to hear what he said. And in verse 76 of Luke chapter 1, we see what he is saying about him. That John, you're going to go before the Lord to prepare his ways. You're going to go before Jesus and get people ready to receive him. John had a role to play in God's plan for redemption. John, hear me when I say this, he is not the savior. He was asked at one point, are you the Messiah who is to come? He goes, nope, not me, bro. He goes, I'm just the one like, that's crying in the wilderness. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. He understood his part in this, that he is not the Messiah. He is not the savior, but he is one that's preparing people to receive him. And he says in verse 77 that John is going to give knowledge of salvation to the people, that what John will say will make people's hearts receptive to receive God's salvation. John's message was a message of repentance. So I've already used the word repentance. How many people are familiar with the church word repentance? And there's usually a guy standing on a box on a street corner in some city saying, repent, and he's screaming. And it sounds negative, but repentance is actually not negative. It's a loving call from God for us to just recognize some of our own behavior. The call to repentance is for us to recognize our sinfulness, right? The brokenness or the waywardness of our own hearts and then to return rather to God's right way of living for us. So repentance could just be described as like a, just a U-turn that, that oftentimes God will come to us and say, you need to repent. It just means you need to stop doing the things you're doing and turn back to where God is. And the only way to receive salvation is to walk through repentance. I said last week that the only way to God is through Jesus. Say yes and amen, amen. And the only way to, to Jesus is through John's message of repentance. You can't, hear me, you can't accept Jesus if you, uh, as Savior if you don't think you need a Savior, okay? And so what, what the message of repentance is, what John's message is, is just going before the people saying, listen, you think you have it figured out. And you don't. And if I could say this, I think the church, we, Renaissance, the capital C church, the big church across the globe, that we, we play the role, if you will, of John the Baptist in the world today. That we are the ones crying out to others, listen, you think you have it all figured out. And you don't. And we're not condemning. I know there are churches who do that. And I, I don't like those churches either, just so you know. Like, I'm on your team with it, right? I don't, but we need to be calling people into a real understanding of their waywardness, of their brokenness, their sinfulness, so that the message of Jesus can be fully received into their hearts. And so we stand with John in that regard, asking people to just take stock of their lives, but for a moment. If you've got it so worked out, then why do you have so much anxiety in your life? If you've got it so worked out, why, why do you still lay up at night and wonder about this and that? Why, where's the peace that is missing, right? And, and all of that is just to show us that we're living out of the way that God sometimes has us to live. 
The message of John is to repent. The message of John is to see, I've gone wayward. Don't hear repent negatively. Hear it as a, as a beckoning call from a loved one asking you to come home again. Repent. I miss you. I love you. Come back. Maybe that's why this morning the Lord was just wanting to say to you that he's so very happy that some of you are here today. There's just some conviction on some of you that you've just done some things. You're like, God, I'm a terrible person. Probably. I don't know. Probably. Like if we're voting, probably. I'm telling you, man, what God can do in your life through Jesus Christ, he can make you new. There's a shame and a condemnation that can be loosed from you and you can walk into the newness that God has through Jesus Christ. And the only way to get there it's through repentance. It's through the message. You need a savior. John, Jesus, the birth narratives just intertwine together. One doesn't go without the other. And Luke is recording this for us. Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, is telling us this story. This matters. Pay attention. He breaks the prophecy into two parts, one about the messenger, his son, and the second part about the Messiah, Jesus. And this is what he says about the Messiah, verse 68. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. And he's done this in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. It's so fascinating that the first words that Zechariah speaks after his mouth has been mute for nine, 10 months is words of praise. And we all should praise God. Like every week we, again, I've said this many times before, we don't just sing songs before the preaching to get you guys kind of woke up a little bit, you know, get the blood pumping. It's like, we're trying to praise the Lord and we're going before you by way of example. So we should all praise the Lord. Yes, you agree with that? Yes. And we all, all do at some point. So um, have you ever driven into a really crowded like parking lot and it's super cold out and you like don't want to park and BFE? You know what I'm talking about? So <laughs> can I say that? I don't know if I... <laughs> People are wondering, what does BFE stand for? Um, moving on. So... Um, Yeah, you're driving in a parking lot and it's crowded. There's no parking spots available. And you get, you, you say, I'm going to try it anyways. And you drive up close to the door and a car pulls out, right? And you go, what do you say? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Yes, right? Or you, you're on an interstate and you're going 80, 85 with a group of cars and you come over a hill and there's that cop sitting right there in the median and you're like, and everyone pits, pumps the brakes and the cop pulls out and gets behind you and you start to slow down and he passes you and gets the car in front of you and you're like, praise the Lord. <laughs> yes, we praise God in all things, but not just for missed speeding tickets and, and vacant parking spots, but in all things. And in this moment, Zechariah is praising God. He just had a son. It's incredible. I encourage you to find a way to praise the Lord in the little things of your life. In the little things. Man, just give him praise. 
So anyways, but Zechariah praises him and he says this, that he has visited his people and redeemed his people again in verse 68. This is speaking of Jesus. This is the babe that's going to be born to Mary in but a few months. In a few months, right, the the heavens are going to part, shepherds are going to be in a field, and the angels are going to declare that, that unto us to this day has been born a king, right? That story, the, what we're going to celebrate next month in, in Christmas season, right? So that child is going to be born. And he says that he has given us a horn of salvation. Oh my gosh, what on earth is this? I had no idea. I had to study this. Um, just know this, that when they're talking about a horn in the Bible, they're always talking about a horn from an animal, which sounds strange. It's not that cornucopia thing sitting on your Thanksgiving table filled with vegetables and fruits or whatever, but it's a horn of an animal. And this will make sense in a moment. Give me a second. That horns on animals are fundamentally weapons and they're used for fighting off of predators. They're used for defending the, um, their offspring or competing with other members of their species for land, for supremacy in the hierarchy, for the right to mate with a particular female, that the horns are used for that. And battles between horned animals can be fierce. It's the stuff of nature documentaries and viral YouTube videos, right? I love watching these things. A pair, I read this, a pair of male impalas can fight to the death. Just two of them fighting over a mate. And when two bison face off, the impact shakes the ground. You can actually feel it underneath your feet. And a buffalo armed with nothing but a pair of horns can, can uh, gore and defeat the most powerful predator. If you want some fun homework this afternoon, just Google lion versus buffalo. I know. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff to watch. Um, the lion doesn't win all the time. I'm just saying. The horn of salvation is speaking to strength and power and victory. So when Zechariah is prophesying that the Messiah has come and he's come to give us a horn of salvation, he's saying that this one has come and he'll have the strength to overcome your foe that he can defeat all your enemies. Ah, oh, this, so, this is good. I'm telling you this is good. You don't know it's good yet. It's so good that he can defeat your enemies, that he has the power to save you from your enemies, and he will be victorious. Does that sound like Jesus? Does that sound like Jesus <laughs> over here? Yes. These guys don't get it. Do you get it? Yes, it's Jesus. And a horn of salvation has come. Verse 72, and it says that he will show mercy, the mercy promised to us at our fathers, and, to, and God will remember his holy covenant or his oath, verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. And that we, God's people, this is, Israel's hearing this. Now, I know we're not Israelites, we're not Jewish, but, but we have the opportunity to hear this as well because the message is not just for Jewish people, but for Gentiles, for people like us. But so that we would be delivered from the hand of our enemies and that we might serve the Lord without fear. We could serve him in holiness and righteousness and go before him all of our days. This is a profound statement for the Jewish people to understand, and it's a profound statement for us to understand as well. 
that God is going to do something through his Messiah that he's going to deliver us out of the hand of our enemies. Now, in, in, in Israel's day, when this was written, so when John's day and Jesus' day, the Israelite people, they were um, being oppressed by a government, the Romans, okay? And this is a common theme, if you read the Bible, that the, God's people always found themselves being oppressed by some military or political force. If it wasn't the Romans, before the Romans, it was the Greeks. Before the Greeks, it was the Babylonians. Before the Babylonians, it was the Assyrians. And it's, it's always someone. And the idea that this Messiah would come and defeat their enemies is speaking not just about a political enemy, but he's speaking about something greater. He's going to speak to us about saving us from our own sin, the greatest enemy that humanity has. You see, the issue with sin in our lives is it causes us to hide from God. You guys know the story of Adam and Eve. Maybe you remember it from a Bible story when you were younger. But Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, right? They can do all the fun stuff, frolic around, have fun, tend to it, do all the things. And God says you can do whatever you want, have fun, enjoy, but you can't eat from this one tree. It's the one tree that they're forbidden to eat from. And they eat from it anyways. And when they do so, sin, that's what they call it, is disobedience. Sin enters into the world. And so when God comes to them in the day, like he does every day, comes to Adam and Eve looking for them, Adam and Eve were what? They were hiding from God. That they had found a fig tree and pulled some fig leaves off and made a, a bikini of sorts and were, had covered up their parts because they felt naked, they felt ashamed, and they were hiding from God because they sinned against him. Sin causes us to hide from the things of God. All of us have, have a friend that probably has, says this, has said this to us at one point. Um, maybe when you've invited them to church. And you say, hey, bro, um, we'd like you to come to church. And they're like, um, no. And here's why. Because if I come, then lightning will strike the church when I walk in because I'm such a terrible person. Has anybody heard that? Or something like that, right? Has anyone said that? Right? That's my story. You don't want me in church. God will strike it dead. Right? God, sin causes us to want to hide from God. Sin causes us, and we see that in a, in a world around us. But here's what the beauty of this message is that, but Jesus is going to do something to the greatest enemy we have. It's greater than any political enemy, any military enemy. It's going to defeat sin on our behalf. The, the Bible tells us that sin has a punishment, and the, and the punishment is death. And so when we stand before a perfect and holy God in our sinful state, then we should be punished as sinful people. So the Bible tells us. I once heard, of, uh, actually this week I listened to another sermon of a pastor who said, have you ever heard the language getting saved? You ever heard, you know, so-and-so got saved, got saved. And we talk about it in Christian circles, but do we ever ask saved from what? You know, you're, you're, you're saved from what? You're saved from God himself. The unmitigated justice reigning judgment upon us because of our waywardness, because of our sinfulness. And to think that somehow we can just skate by on our good looks or good behavior or, or moral activities. You know, I don't, I don't, I recycle. Come on, God, that counts for something. I adopted a kitten once. I mean, I didn't keep it because kittens are evil, let's be honest. <laughs> but, but you do all the moral things. You're like, come on, God, that's something. And he's like, no, sin is the issue. And no amount of moral living can overcome sin. And we are saved from God's justice and righteous and his wrath poured out upon us. Because when Jesus Christ, in his great love for us, that he went to the cross on our behalf, 
If you ever wondered what the death of a, uh, Jesus on a cross means, it means this, that we deserve death. We should be the criminal hanging on the cross. We should be the one that's getting judged. But Jesus lays out his life as a ransom for us, as a substitute, that he says, I'll do this. And he goes to the cross on your behalf and my behalf, and he dies, and three days later, God raises him from the dead, the first of the resurrection, and we, in faith, believe that story. And God does something to us. By faith, he makes us brand new. Our sinful nature, the one we're born into in the natural way, has been replaced by a spiritual nature, a holy and righteous nature. In my mind, there's a much larger applause at the end of that whole <laughs> But that's okay. God hears the, the quiet, reserved, reverent applause in your heart, I'm sure. But he has overcome our greatest enemy, not just a political military one, but sin itself. And in verse 78, Zechariah gives us this wonderful metaphor of light and dark, that God's going to do something. He's going to flip the light on, man, and we're going to be able to see, and we're going to be able to see well, and it's going to bring peace to our lives. Verse 78, it says, because of God's tender mercy, he says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And peace is not just the absence of turmoil or strife. Peace is a, a um, in the biblical sense, it has a completeness or a fullness. It's the idea, it's everything just as God intended. When we think of peace or the Hebrew word shalom, it just means that. Everything exactly as God intended. And this Messiah is going to shed a light on us, flip the switch, so to speak. So, so no longer will we be in darkness, but we can now move forward and live into the, oh, this is so good, live into the rightness that God has for us. That we can live into the, oh my gosh, do you feel that? Like so many of us are just wondering, like, I don't even know if I'm doing it right. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I finish school, don't finish school. I don't know, marry the girl, don't marry the girl. I don't, like all the things And I'm telling you, man, God has a way of just showing us the way that his light will, will remove the darkness from our, our doubts, our disbelief, and he'll move us into the, the peace for all of our days. That's my, so I love it. When I read that, I'm like, oh my gosh. So you're saying, God, that I believe in you. Believe in your son, G. I believe. But man, I did some really terrible things last week. Right? I mean, not, not me personally, but I'm like, all of us have this. Like we've sinned some things. We've, we've returned things to Amazon that we've worn anyone. <laughs> Come on. I'm not the only one. Come on. That's a sin. It's not? All right, you guys figure it out. You guys fight it out with the Lord. We've done things, right? But no amount of sinning, and as an expert sinner as you are, and some of you are professionals, I'm not pointing you out, but no amount of sinning can remove the work that Jesus has done for you. He says, in all of your days, God will lead you into lightness. He leads you into the light, bro. That's what he does. And he says he finds the people here in verse 79 to give light to those who sit in darkness. If you ever hear stories of people wandering into or going for hikes in the woods and they lose the trail, 
and they think they found the trail, so they go this way for a little bit. And after about an hour or so, they, they realize they've, they're lost. They're off the trail. And, and all the experts will say, when you think you're lost, you need to just sit down and breathe because adrenaline's gonna hit you, panic is gonna hit you, and you're gonna run. And you think you've found the trail and you're gonna run. And next thing you know, you've traveled two and three and four miles away from the, the, the most recent or the, the place someone saw you last. And that is the first place that someone is the savior, the people are gonna save you, are gonna come look for you. It's the last place someone saw you. But in your panic, you're running around crazy and they'll never find you. So the experts say, sit down and breathe. Zechariah says that the Savior is going to come and he'll find those who are sitting down. They're in darkness. They're not trying to find their way out anymore. They're not trying to like, I think I got the right path. I think if I do this, if I could do this, if I could just get rid of her and get him and do all the things, get the right job, get the right career, do all the things in my life, the peace, that everything will come. And I'm telling you, when you, when you run that, that hamster wheel of life, when you try that again and again and again, it doesn't work. The Lord would tell you, sit down. Sit and let Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, come and find you and bring light to you. Woo. I'm done. All right, well done. So let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you for our time. You're so good. You're so good. Oh my gosh, we don't have the right words. We don't have the right words. Goodness is all we have, and you are good. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the praise and the prophecy of Zechariah pointing to John, the one who will go before with the message of repentance to return to God and his goodness and the message of the Messiah, Jesus, the one who can defeat our enemy with that strong horn of salvation. Thank you, God. Lord, help us to surrender our paths, to surrender our ways. Help us to sit down in the midst of life's busyness and struggle to just receive salvation from you, Lord. We thank you for everything that you do on our behalf, Lord. Again, the words we have are too small, but, the, but they're all we have, Lord. So we give them to you. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for more than parking spots and missed speeding tickets. We thank you for, for more than that. We praise you, Lord. God, we love you. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 